Welcome to another Wednesday night. Thank you all for coming out. Um, really appreciate everyone being here um, and, and joining us in our service for a midweek study. We're actually just going through the gospel chronologically. Uh, we have a template for that, so it's kind of jumping around through all the books um, and just following the order of how Jesus was walking and ministering and really the Son of God here on earth doing what he came to do to rescue and redeem us. And so... Um, if you guys have your Bibles, could you please open to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, there's Bibles in the back um, on the shelves. If you guys want those Bibles, you can have them. Uh, you can take them home and read it, and it's yours to keep. I guess so, yeah? Um, so I like to kind of start off with a little bit of illustrations. Um, I have Austin in the back to raise his hand just in case I'm going a little bit too fast because I get a little bit heated up here, and I, I kind of, it's like, it's like, it's like dire, word diarrhea, um, and it's just, it's just, yeah, so he's just going to raise his hand, hey, slow down, right, and so we can um, hear this, so um, in the month of April, in, uh, in the year 1912, um, there was a ship called the Titanic, right, anybody know that ship? Everybody knows that ship, well, it's called the Titanic, now, uh, when the Titanic was built, it was said by the ship's builders that this boat was unsinkable, right? We know that's a lie, right? Because it's 15,000 feet underwater today, right? So the story is that this boat was traveling on the final stretch through the North Atlantic Ocean, and it was there where they were met with what we call an iceberg. Anybody here know what an iceberg is? Yep, so it's an iceberg, and that's what they were met with. What the builders didn't expect in a time of an emergency was this iceberg to tear through more than what the ship could have handled. Now, I got to see the glaciers, and I got to see some icebergs on our honeymoon. My wife and I went to Alaska, so we got to see the icebergs. We got to see the glaciers. Yeah, it's, it's just cold. And a fun fact about the iceberg, really, the fun fact about the iceberg is that you only can see about 10 to maybe 15% of it. Right, that's it just about 10 to 15%. So what you see on the surface is what we would call the tip of the iceberg. Right? That's where the saying comes from. 85 to 90% of the iceberg is actually underwater. That's where, that's where the rest of the iceberg is. Right? So when the Titanic met this iceberg, the damages were below the waterline. This is what caused the boat to fill with water and eventually sink. Right? So on April 15th, at uh, the year 1912, so about 110 years ago, uh, is, that, is my math? Okay. 1912, at about 2.20 a.m., this boat sank. Now, I'm not trying to recap on a movie. It's a great movie. You guys should watch the movie. It's about four hours long. The reason why I give this illustration here is because the Sermon on the Mount, because that's what we're going through, the Sermon on the Mount is not dealing with surface-level stuff. Like, you feel me? Like, the stuff that we're getting into is, like, heart stuff, or like, soul stuff. The whole purpose of the sermon is to show us, show us that there is a deeper meaning to the things we do and why we do them, right? So this is why Jesus gives us illustrations, and he gives us six of them. He's trying, and Josh Bill did an amazing job, thank you, for those past two weeks. He went through the illustrations. Jesus is trying to show us 
that we can be morally upright people, we can speak Christianese, come into, play, uh, come into church and play the part, but following Jesus goes beyond the performance. We're like that, That's the theme. Like That's the message. Following Jesus goes beyond what you do. It goes beyond the performance. And we can rob ourselves from what's really important. That's what I'm getting from this. This is why he begins with, you have heard it said. So he goes to the law. You have heard it said, thou shall not murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with their brother will be what? Liable to judgment, right? So you're guilty. And I love what Jacobelin says about this. He says the Christian can walk away, right, when you get angry. The Christian can walk away and count to ten when he's angry, but God sees the steam. Right? You, you feel me? Kind of, that, this is what you, right? So you can walk away, count to ten, right? It's kind of, reminds me of Yosemite Sam. You ever seen Yosemite Sam? Right? He's like, like, it kind of, that's what I kind of see it as, right? You're not making the move. You're not doing anything, but God sees the steam. So just because you didn't kill somebody doesn't mean you don't wrestle with harmful intentions within you. Like, that's what Jesus is saying. Right? This is the problem. This is what Jesus is expo- exposing. The problem is not in the act. Right? The problem is that we have the compulsions in us to lead us there. You see what I'm saying? It's tracking? Okay. We're good? Then he moves on to adultery. I'm just recapping on this. Then he moves on to adultery. He says, you have heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sin is not when you two are in the bedroom together. Right? Sin is not when you two are in the bedroom together. That's too late. Right? Sin began the moment that I started to fantasize, that I started to entertain those thoughts. Sin does not begin in the bedroom, but it begins, and Jesus said it where? In the heart. That's what the scripture is saying. Jesus is saying sin begins in the heart. And this is what God is after. Right, I'm going to say this a million times, probably as long as I can uh, teach and preach up here. God is after your heart. Right, I'm going to say it again. God is after you. Amen? Right? This is what God is after. He's not after your time. He doesn't need your time. He's not after your money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your sacrifices. He wants you since day one, right? He's trying to go past the performance and into the heart, your heart. He wants you. But if we only see this as what we should do, this is how we see the Christian walk, is what we should do or what we shouldn't do, although that's extremely important, Christianity becomes weighty, it becomes hard, and it becomes very lonely, right? Because it was never meant to work from outside in, but inside out. Our relationship with the Lord does not come from obedience first. It comes from knowing who God is. You can do both, but it comes from knowing who God is, and it really begins to knowing this first thing, is that God loves you. God loves you. Like, I know we hear that, but I don't think we hear that enough. And maybe we know that, but like I say, you got to know it in your Noah. Right? Like, God 
loves you so much. And not because you keep the Ten Commandments, not because you follow all of the Beatitudes or you've been extra good this week, that's not the gospel. Like, that's not the good news. It's because God is love. You hear that? It's in John. God is love. His very nature is love, which makes God do loving things. It's who he is. Therefore, God loves you, rescued you, saved you, not because you were good, because God is good. Amen? Okay. And so the story of the Bible has always been about God moving towards us fallen people to save and redeem all that was lost. So that's the entire, like that's the overarching theme. If you get anything, that's the theme, right? So we get stick with that. Colossians says that everything was created by him and for him. And if that's the case, then we should be able to what? Trust him. So from knowing God, it goes to trusting God. Right? Knowing that he loves me, I can trust him. Right? So this is Psalm 16. This is my life verse. If you guys ever have time, when you go home, please read Psalm 16. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Psalms. And just this verse alone says, the lines have fallen into pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So really what David is trying to do is give us, it's really the image of a shepherd, right? Because David is a shepherd. I see this as a shepherd really fencing us in to his goodness and his grace. That means our lives, once saved, has been ordered in a way to live with him and for him. Right, so that's what's happening right now. Our lives are being ordered to live with him and live for him. Right, so when we come across passages, passages that deal with some of the heavier issues of life, or we come across the thou shalt and thou shalt not, he is not robbing us of anything, but protecting us. Right, God's not robbing us of our joy, but protecting us. This is why he says, you have shown me the pathway to life. In your presence, you fill me with joy. Right, pathway to life, his presence, they go together. Right, you cannot have one without the other. You should not have one without the other. His presence and the pathway to life go together. Christianity should not look like begrudging submission. Oh, this is just something that I got to do. That's not what Christianity should look like. With his presence, joy, pathway to life, leads to glad-hearted obedience because I know he loves me, he's for me, and he saved me. Are we good? Okay. Did you know that there is no obedience that pleases God apart from a relationship with him? Hebrews says it, without faith it is impossible to please God. And if we give into, so this is what we're getting into, if we give into the temptation to just do what's right and do what's wrong, if we give into the temptation to earn something from God that's been freely given, we can fall into the dangers of religion. Right? We fall into self-seeking motives, self-righteous attitudes, and a life of hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is getting into. That's the book. That's what he's saying. 
right? Because it's one thing to tell a lie, but it's another thing to be living one. So that's what Matthew 6 is all about. You can live righteously the wrong way. There is a wrong way to do the right things. And what we're going to look at tonight is just three. Because Jesus lists three. Which is giving, praying, and fasting. Now, I don't think anybody here has been rebuked for praying too much. Anybody tell you, like, brother, you've just been praying way too much for me. Like, please stop that. Right? Or, or, you've been being, or you've just been too generous, brother. Why, why are you being so generous? Right? Or, or you've been fasting too much. See, this is not what Jesus is rebuking. And so to make one thing clear, Jesus isn't condemning the act of giving, praying, and fasting, but the motives behind it. That's what he's after, is the motives behind what you do. Amen? And so if you please follow along in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and your giving may be, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here, Jesus is not condemning the act of generosity or giving. That's not what he's doing. See, all throughout the New Testament, we see examples of the church providing and supporting and giving to the furthering of God's kingdom. In fact, generosity is really a mark of a believer, right? But what the Pharisees were doing this day was giving to the poor and the needy, not just because they were poor and needy, but what does Jesus say? Before the applause to be seen, to be noticed for the praises of men. And Jesus is saying, if that's what you're after, that's all you're going to get. Right? You want it, you got it. That, that, that's your reward. That, that, that's your reward. If you want the praises of men, you can have it. But Peter says, man, the glory of men is shallow and it never lasts. The praises of men are shallow and it never lasts. This is, this text alone is showing us how easily our hearts can turn something righteous, a righteous act like giving into something selfish. That's what this is saying. Because although we're doing something good for the kingdom, it's not really for the kingdom. What is, it, what is the point? This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites because they're living a life that is dishonest. That's what it means. Like we can serve God for our personal gain. Nobody would know. Who would know? Like we can do good things for God to make our name great, but nobody would know. The point is that we can do good things for God, but our hearts can be really far from him. This is what I mean about obedience to God without knowing him, right? Jesus is saying that this is dangerous. And what I said earlier that God wants more than anything is that he wants who? You. Believe it. 
Like he doesn't want your performance. He wants you, and you need to know that. I'm going to drive that in there. He wants you. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you. He wants your heart. And your heavenly father sees you, and he's always seen you. And I know this. And he's the only one that came after me when nobody wanted to. I know that. Right? He's the only one who's been patient with me up to this time. He's the only one that loved me unconditionally until now. He's the only one. And Jesus is saying that we can rob ourselves from these eternal riches for temporary praise. That's what this text is saying. We can trade that for that. Well, how can we compare these two things? Eternal blessing and intimacy with God who loves you even at your worst for inconsistent praise and temporary gain. Jesus here is not saying that you are to always give in secret. That's not what he's saying, right? Because that's, that's, that's impossible. We collect offerings and tithes here every Sunday so people see. That's impossible. See, in the book of Acts, he even gives a, a story of Barnabas having uh, given all of his income from selling the land that he had. See, what did this do? As believers seen him do this act, it started what we would call generosity chain among the early church, and it was said that nobody was in need at that time. But rather, Jesus is showing us the dangers within our hearts to practice our righteousness only to be seen by people, to follow Jesus to only be seen by people. So that's the theme here, okay? That's the context of everything that we're going to go through. And because of this, we can rob ourselves from the most important thing, which is God himself. That's what we rob ourselves from. As I mentioned, Psalm 16, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. So that means Jesus is the beautiful inheritance. He's our inheritance. And in knowing that Jesus saved me, loves me, and he's with me, it's in his presence where we're satisfied, right? It's in his presence where we're fulfilled with what we do. It's in his presence that we have joy to do what we do. We do the things that we do because he is our portion, he is our cup, and he is our inheritance, and he's with us. Amen? So this comes from the inside out, not the outside in. So we got kind of get that tracking? Are we okay? Okay. And then he goes into prayer. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners for they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father uh, who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses... 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, so this is kind of one of those verses. I'm going to get this number 14 out of the way first. (laughs) This verse, a man, Austin, this verse is not saying that you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Because that would cancel the gospel out. That doesn't make sense. So you don't earn any from anything from God. Rather, the gospel is that he gives it to us freely, right? Ephesians 2.8, you have been saved by grace through what? Thank you, Jesus. Faith. So I think the best way to explain this verse is to understand the seriousness of unity. That, that's kind of where I'm at, all right? So I'm just going to, that's my, that's me, Okay, you guys can, whatever you want, but that's me. I, to understand this verse is to understand the seriousness of unity, which is really a picture of our union with Christ, which is inseparable. Because the moment you and I got saved, we became one with him. And this is because God made a way for us, for our sins, to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So we, that, we got that, right? God made a way for everyone to come and repent, to be forgiven, no partiality, all of you, come. Now, between us as believers, we are called here to have a readiness, right? Like kind of on our toes, this is how I see it, to have a readiness to forgive others because we've been forgiven much. That's how I see verse 14. And because we're a family, feuds happen. Right? Because we're a family, feuds happen. There's going to be arguments and disagreements within the church, but at the end of the day, we are to put the effort. That's what this is. You're going to put in work, put in the effort to make things right as Jesus did with us. Amen? It's one thing to love our enemies, but it's a different dynamic to love and forgive the ones closest to us. Why? I know why. Because they hurt the most. It hurts the most. But I believe the reminder at those times is to remember how much Jesus has forgiven us. This is what empowers you to have the readiness to forgive others. Amen? Amen? So now, the theme is the same throughout these 18 verses as we talked about earlier. Um, Living a life of hypocrisy, right? Trying to be seen by others. There are going to be times uh, that we might just be at the grocery store. Happens. Uh, We might just be at a restaurant or at the gym and somebody might see you from church or somebody might come to you in public and maybe they might spew their problems or maybe not or you just prompted to go pray for them. Um, That's not, Jesus is not saying don't pray for them. Don't do this in public. If somebody needs prayer, you pray for them. Amen? Wherever you are, you go and pray for those people. Whether on your job site or whether uh, wherever you are, you pray for those people. The most important thing that we should take away from this is the intimacy that God wants with you. Okay, so we're going back to intimacy. We're going back to relational. It's the intimacy that God wants with you. Prayer is not something that you have to do. Prayer is something that you get to do, right? It's not something that you have to do. Prayer is something that you get to do. This is a gift that has been given to us because we're his sons and daughters. And it's not just limited at church or when you go and eat dinner, right? Because that's kind of the routine, right? You either pray here or you're praying at home when you, before you, oh my goodness, I forgot to pray when I eat. I do that all the time, right? So it's not just limited at church. It's not just limited when you eat. Now, this is me. This is me. I don't know if it's you, 
but I definitely, definitely have a routine prayer. Like, right, this one always comes out right before I'm about to pray. It's the same words, too. Right? It's, it's this routine. It's like one commentator said, it's like scrolling through your playlist and then hitting play. Right? It's just, you know it's there. You know it's always there, and that's the one prayer you say, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I've missed the point of praying and what Jesus is trying to say here. To put it simply, prayer is another form of worship. That's what prayer is. Because of Jesus going to the cross on our behalf, you and I now have direct access to God. So read Hebrews, right? Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may, be obtain, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So prayer is a gift to bring us into the presence of God. That's what that is. But there are times where I don't have anything to say. Well, I'm glad you said that. Romans 8 says this. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. So this just moved from the playlist to the soul. Right, Romans 8 saying that you're going from the playlist to the soul. So whatever routine prayer, right? After you get past those routine prayers, it's going into the soul, right? So this is something that I'm getting familiar with as myself, as I'm growing into this. This means all my worries. That's what that means. This means all my worries. This means all of my emotions. This means all of my struggles, and he wants that. Right? He doesn't not want it. He wants that. Jesus is saying, not only does your heavenly Father see you, but he hears you. Right? He doesn't just see you, but he hears you, and he wants to hear you. That's the point. Right? Now, the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 to 13, is a great outline of how to pray and what to pray for. And it really begins with acknowledging God as sovereign, right? Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sovereign is your name. Supreme ruler as holy. This is what it means to be holy. You're recognizing as holy, set apart, supreme from everything else. That he is the king of kings, that God is the Lord of lords. So this is what we're thinking about when we're praying. That, that's acknowledging God in prayer. And therefore, because he is supreme ruler, right, God of the universe, therefore your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And so this is a reminder, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is a reminder that no matter what happens, God is still God over everything, okay? And in the first sentence, Jesus is saying to us that the God of the universe, our Father, is now your Father. Right, so we move from God to our Father. So there's that intimacy again, right? So our Father and God, being a good Father, knows what we need and not what we want. I think one commentator said it like this, God provides for our necessities, not our luxuries. Right? So he knows what we need, he knows what we need and not what we wrong. Now, it's not wrong to ask for certain things, but he knows ultimately what's good for us and what isn't. Right? He knows. And I don't know why God doesn't answer prayer sometimes. I don't have all the questions but I do know what matters the most is that he's still good. And what we do is that we continue to pray in expectance. 
We continue to pray for healing. We continue to pray for whatever that may be, and I'm guilty of this because I can give up too easily. And that's just me. Not that he's a genie in a bottle, but that he loves his children and he hears us. Amen? The gift of prayer is not only about what's being answered, but the blessing is that we get to be in his presence. That's what the gift of prayer is for. Our hearts, if distracted, realigned with his, and we get to focus on what's really important, his will and his kingdom. And he makes that available to us whenever and wherever. Are we okay? Okay. And then he goes into fasting. So we're going to go from verse 16 through 18, and we're going to finish up. It says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others. Oh, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there's many examples of fasting in the Bible. And to really sum it up, now this is just me. This is how I understand fasting today. That we are giving up a good thing, something that we enjoy, and maybe like food, for example, right? So you're giving up food, a good thing, and instead, I'm going to take that time to get into the better thing. Right? That, that's kind of, that's, I just want to sum it up that way. Whether it's spending time in prayer or spending time with the Lord, I'm choosing this better thing because he's the better thing. Okay, so that, that's what that is. Or this is my opinion. Right? The Bible doesn't ever talk about this, and I know it only says about food. My opinion, don't quote, this is me, instead of all that screen time, right, that we can be spending in time of the TV, uh, instead of all that screen time, I'm going to take this time to read his word or go through a book, and I'm going to get to know him better, right? So you're taking a good thing um, or something that you enjoy and replacing it with the better thing. Now, these people were using fasting as a way of showing others that they want God, love God, but they don't. Right, that they're using this to show that they want God, they love God, but they really don't. And Jesus is saying that they are trying to use my name for the applause of men. They are people who like to pretend to like me only to want nothing to do with me when no one's watching. That's the entire, actually, that's, all, that's verse 1 through 18. Okay, that's, that's what's going on. There are people who like to pretend to like me only to want nothing to do with me when no one's around. This is the dangers of practicing religion and not having a relationship that God wants with you. This is dangerous. And if it is this way, Christianity becomes weighty, hard, and frustrating. And something like fasting will not make sense to you because it generates crazy emotions. I've tried it. Like hangry. You guys know what hangry is? Ever heard of hangry, like being hungry and tired? That's, that's the definition. We turn into different people. I turn into somebody different. And we want everyone to know about it. Right? So Jesus here is saying, when you, not, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, wash your face and put on some cologne. And that's what he's saying. Wash your face, put on some cologne. And the purpose of fasting is not the fast in itself. Again, but during that time, I want to get to know him. I want to love him more. And nobody needs to know. That's between me and the Lord. That's what he's saying. Amen? Amen. 
And as I close, Austin, you want to just play one more song? We still have a little bit of time. And as I close, the call to our lives, I understand the call to our lives tonight is really to walk in honesty. It's that if I can put a title over this message, God wants us to walk in honesty. Honesty with him and honesty before others. Right? This God isn't trying to shame us or make us feel guilt about anything. This is an invitation to step into having a real, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all this is. And to walk in honesty. What is walking in honesty? To walk in honesty is to grow honestly in your love for him. To walk in honesty is to grow honestly in your love for him. This is what your primary focus, all of your time and energy should be going into, growing in your love for Jesus. That's it. And the last thing I want to say that Jesus used the word Father nine times. I believe in these 18 verses. I think some translations say 11 times. But nine times Jesus uses the word Father. I want us to remember that if you put your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, God is not only King of kings or Lord of lords, but he's also your Father. I'm talking like Abba Father. Read Romans 8. Like That's like Dad. That's like Dad. That's how intimate God, that's the intimacy, that's the relationship that God wants with you. And maybe some of us here didn't always have that. I grew up with some friends. But I want to remind you that this father would never leave you nor forsake you. Right? He's always patient. He's always gentle. He's always kind and he's always loving. And for those of us who had amazing fathers, he blows all of those fathers out of the water too. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you that we get to worship you. We thank you, God, that we don't need to practice religion or do these things in order to be accepted. God, you accept us already. That's the gospel. We just come to you. You say your uh, yoke is easy and your burden is light, Father. So I pray at this time, Lord, uh, we would put away the striving and we would put that time and energy into cultivating a relationship with you, a real one, an intimate one, Lord, and so that we can receive the spiritual blessings, Lord, that you have for us. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace tonight, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your love and your spirit upon every man and woman here and children outside, Lord. We love those kids. Father, bless those kids. Bless Chauncey, too. Lord, and thank you, Lord, for this time of service, this night, Lord, that we get to gather together, read your word, study, and get to know who you are more and love you more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen. Amen. Amen.